Hi, Jazz. Hi, Lulaf. Oh, man. It has been a while since we recorded. It's only been a week since you listeners have heard our dulcet tones in your ears. But we skipped out on a week because there was just a lot of stuff going on in our lives. I can't remember what any of those stuffs are. Probably depression. Jazz, has anything cool and queer or Jewish happened in those last two weeks? Sure. One thing that has been happening is I have been watching a lot of the show Ink Master with my roommates, Mm -hmm. like back seasons of it. And Ink Master, for those of you who might not be familiar, which is very fine because I wasn't really before we were all stuck inside all the time, (laughs) is a tattoo competition show. We watched the first couple seasons and then watched the most recent couple seasons. And now we've been bouncing around in the middle for a while, watching them completely out of order, partially because we want to watch all of them, but also the later seasons are better. So we keep <laughs> bouncing over to the later seasons. You can only take so much late aughts TV at once. It's really not even just that people are behaving badly because people are behaving badly on every season of the show. <laughs> It's just that the tattoos are worse at the beginning, so I'm less willing to put Mm. up with them behaving badly, because they're not even that good. (laughs) Okay. So what's particularly queer about that? So there are some queer people who were like tattoo artists on the show. Mm -hmm. The other day, we were watching an episode and there was one person on one of the more recent seasons who we all agreed, like unequivocally, (laughs) was the hottest person on the show that season. (laughs) And all of us asked our partners promptly, (laughs) okay, who is the person that all four of us in this house agreed on? Can you figure out who it was? I was looking at some very blurry photos in my defense. Yes. People did varying amounts of good at this particular question. Mm -hmm. You weren't like top of the pile, but- I was switch of the pile? uh, You were middle of the ranks. You did perfectly respectably, in my opinion. Okay, thank you. Anyway, that was the same season in which there was a Jewish tattoo artist who like said some things about being a Jewish tattoo artist. However, he did say those things- right before he got kicked off. Uh Uh-huh. And we were all like, I'm not sorry to see you go, not because of the Jewish thing, but just because you're such a jerk. (laughs) Like, unrelatedly, (laughs) such a jerk. That feel when Chul Hashem? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, it was a queer and Jewish experience. And also, our household is one where, like, sometimes we watch TV on Friday night after we all do a Shabbat dinner together. Hmm. And that's just, you know, what our practice looks like these days. Yeah. Lulav, what's something cool and queer and Jewish that's happened to you this couple weeks? So we haven't recorded since Purim, which means that I get to tell you about some cool Purim stuff. One thing is that Chesed texted me just like, what do you want for Purim? And I was like, what? What do I want? Oh, Um, and we hadn't, like, gone for a grocery trip in a bit in this household. So I was like, could you bring butter and nutmeg? And they were like, yeah, sure. And I will also bring some hamantaschen. And they did. And it was great. I got to experience hamantaschen, even though I hadn't gone outside in, like, a week. I got to chat with them on our porch. And, yeah, I just like my friend Chesed. In return, bearing in mind that I still have to deliver them these things, 
I got them some bags of microwave rice that have veggies in them and like a, a shake. One of them fruity drinks, what gives you a bunch of potassium <laughs> because they asked for accessible food. I know that struggle. Yeah, that's really nice. Like friendship trade. Yeah, which I think is one of the things that you're supposed to do for Purim. Sort of in the <laughs> spirit of Mishloach Manot. I think I was only half paying attention during our Purim lesson for soulful Jewish learning. Also, hopefully Rabbi Rappaport doesn't listen to this show. Uh, <laughs> hi, Rabbi. Well, okay. So the things about Purim, right, is that like mm-hmm. there's several Purim commandments, but like oh, you have to feed people, right? Mm-hmm. Matanot levyonim, which are like gifts, usually of like money to people who need it, mm-hmm. and then okay. There's Mishloach Manot, which is more like food for your friends. Friend gifts. Okay. And then there is a Purim Suda, which is like, have a big Purim meal. Okay. And... To confuse Blessed is Mordecai and Cursed is Haman? Boo? Uh, no, the fourth one is the reading of the Megillah. Oh, yeah, there you go. Like, listening <laughs> to the whole Megillah. Okay, cool. The thing that you mentioned about getting so intoxicated that you mix up cheering for the hero and booing the villain is not a mitzvah on the same level as those other ones. Mm -hmm. It is like a practice. It's not of the same degree of a mitzvah that we are commanded to. Also, Ada was doing some study about this because what do you do if intoxication leads to bad habits for you. Right. And so it turns out that it's not necessarily intoxication. Like, you can do other things to make that confusion happen. Mm. So it's not that you specifically have to get sloshed on Purim. It's that some people can. Sure. My mom sometimes says, quoting her father, it's like a thing that many Jewish holidays include... Uh, an opportunity for indulgence <laughs> that you wouldn't be supposed to engage in at other times of the year that you're not always necessarily commanded to do, but that it's built into the structure of the holiday. Mm-hmm. And for Purim, it's things like drinking way more than you should at other points. <laughs> Hanukkah's is gambling, oh. which is real fun. It's a bad gambling game. All, many gambling <laughs> games are bad gambling games. Um, Passover's is like laying about. I think, Mm -hmm. doing nothing on a non-Shabbat day. Anyway, so it's great. great. Yeah. So the other Purim-related thing was that, I think Shahar or was that Ray, was talking on the server about like, hey, here's a Purim spiel that I was going to go to. Anybody want to join? And so my good Jewish League of Legends server watched a Purim spiel together. That's cute. Yeah, including some of the members who aren't as actively Jewish. Um, actively Jewish or just not Jewish? Not Jewish yet. Uh, not actively Jewish. I don't know. Okay. It depends. There's a mixture of people on the server. It's not actually a good Jewish League of Legends server. It's just that like two thirds of us are or could be, or, yeah. Also, I like saying good Jewish League of Legends server because it sounds like good Christian Minecraft server, but better. What? Uh, I don't want to know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, it was just really nice. Like, you and I were on a date at the same time because we scheduled a date for Thursday evening, not remembering that that's Purim. And I walked back and forth to get some water, and it was just cool saying hi to Mercury and checking out them having a great time with our friends. It was fun. That's lovely. Yeah. It was like a social event that I was not the center of, which makes me feel good that like this social space that I was one of the creators for exists without me mm-hmm. and also exists with me mm-hmm. when I choose to join. So that's nice. Lula, are and you then, ready? Sorry. Oh, yes. Uh, I just want to give a quick rundown of media that I've been consuming lately. One is Hades, the game. I enjoy it, except for the Eurydice Orpheus storyline. Also, one of our transcribers is a Discord moderator for the official Hades server and is mentioned in the credits. So that's fun. And also, um... Was it the Jane Austen adaptation? Maybe? Maybe. Oh, oh no, it's that the Shrieking Shack finished the epilogue of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So I have now listened to about 400 hours of a deep read of the entire Harry Potter series, which has given me the blessing of never needing to go back and read those books. (laughs) Yeah, we have now listened will definitely be true by the time this episode airs. (laughs) I'll probably listen to it in the next day or two. Oh, yeah. As soon as I got the notification that it was up for patrons, I listened to it this morning. (laughs) And then related to that, and also weirdly to Cam, is Higurashi is really popping off. I don't know. That's all the media that I've been consuming. Sorry. Okay, great. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Kosher Queers, a podcast with at least two Jews and generally more than three opinions. Each week, we bring you queer takes on Torah. They're jazz. And she's Lulav. And we're here to joke about Judaism and talk Tanakh together. Today, our Haruta is learning the Haftarah of Vayikra, which is Yeshiyahu 4321 to 4423. And if you are just joining us, or you can never keep straight all of the Hebrew names that I do for things that have well-known English names, this is Isaiah. It totally is. Also, (laughs) if you're just joining us, I apologize somewhat for Lulav just throwing in a bunch of names of just friends who you do not know. Also, I haven't mentioned Ray by name. Uh, I've mentioned Shachar a lot and also Chesed, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. (laughs) Great. Okay. Yes. Listen to our backlog where there is a rich tapestry of my social life, including who I was kissing like a year ago. So that's that's a thing. I forgot about that. (laughs) You just put a lot of your life online. (laughs) 
Anyway, Lulav, would you like to summarize the Parsha for us? The Parsha that connects to this week's Haftarah portion? Why, Jazz, I surely would. We're talking this week about Vayikra, which is the first Parsha from Vayikra. Right. (laughs) And I would like 45 seconds to give us the rundown here. Before we do that. Mm -hmm. So we're starting Vayikra, which is the book of Leviticus. Oh, right. Quick refresher that books in the Torah are named for the first Parsha, just as the Parsha is named for the first significant Hebrew word in it. And right away, we start off with Vayikra. <laughs> right. Which, Lulav, what does that mean? Uh, and it spoke, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We start with the phrase, and the name spoke to Moshe, saying. Yes, basically. Or at, like, in front of the tent of meat, whatever. Point is, I'm going to take 45 seconds and tell you all about that crying. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's just useful, I think, to note and to remember that Leviticus isn't a translation of the Hebrew name of it. It's a totally different name. (laughs) It's just a totally different name for the same book, because the Haftarah is named differently, named more after, like, who is the speaker in it. And so they're basically the same in English and Hebrew. Wait, sorry, the Haftarah or the Parsha? The Haftarah. For the Haftarah, they're basically the same in English and Hebrew. because it's the prophet. Okay. Because it's just named after the prophet or like... There are kings here. (laughs) Right. And so the Haftarah portion doesn't each have a separate name. Mm -hmm. It's just like the book it's in and those are basically the same in English and Hebrew. So Great. Thank you for pointing that out. That's really great. So yes. Do you have any time for 45 seconds? Pa, 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 pa. Yeah. Ready, set. The name is crying at Moshe, talking about all kinds of acceptable sacrifices and the work that the Kohenim have to do to offer them acceptably. What goes in the fire? No leaven, no honey. Yes, salt. What goes in the mouth? No fat, no blood. When priests do a commandment oopsie, they sacrifice a bull. When the whole of the people do a commandment oopsie, they all sacrifice a single bull. If a chief does a commandment oopsie... Goat sacrifice. If a rando does a commandment oopsie, goatess sacrifice. If someone doesn't offer important information that could help people out, or retroactively discovers they touched a nasty thing, they gotta bring a sacrifice that is within their means. However, if someone does a targeted ill instead of just an oopsie, they must bring a ram and 120% repayment. Done. Nicely done. Thank you. I timed that while you were thinking of a gender. I probably would have said 40 seconds and gone over by like two if I hadn't been timing it. Okay. Because of my hubris. It's true. (laughs) So yeah, that is how Viacross starts off. You can kind of see why it's called Leviticus in other languages because it's talking about the Levites and what they got to do. But the connection to this week's Haftarah, as far as I can reckon it, is that the Haftarah starts off talking about how you haven't brought sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with sacrifices. You haven't done all of the sacrifices that we talk about here as what you are supposed to do to make good. That's the best I got. (laughs) Okay. Do you notice any other connections or do you want to throw down about the thing that I just said? (laughs) I... I think that sounds right. Okay. I think that it's also sort of loosely connected through the idea of mm, setting up 
systems of what you want your society to look like and who's important in it. Mm -hmm. But that's related to the thing that you said. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the back half of this Haftarah talks about like, idolatry. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really show up in Parashat Vayikra. I know. It shows up in a lot of other (laughs) places, but not there so much. (laughs) Yeah. So, Jazz, can you tell us a little bit about the context for this Haftarah? Yeah, so we've done a bunch of stuff with Isaiah before. Isaiah is an early prophet. Isaiah is probably a compilation of historical writers. Mm -hmm. Isaiah is a pretty staunch, we gotta fix society type of dude. So this feels very in line with what other things we've heard from Isaiah before. Enough so that it feels to me like if somebody put this in front of me before I had read it for this podcast and said, please guess which prophet it was, like I might have guessed Isaiah. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if you feel similarly about that, but it feels pretty emblematically Isaiah to me. I mean, I think we've talked before about how the book of Yeshiahu gets quoted a lot by... We've said Christians, but there's a part here about uh, I am the one who formed you in the womb, which shows up in the Quran and is one of my favorite parts of poetry there. This might be a reference to an earlier thing from Torah, and I'm just spacing on that, but it might be specifically from this Haftarah. Yeah. So the place I feel like I know Isaiah best from... Mm I wasn't familiar with that bit from the Quran, although that's beautiful. And I don't really know when Christians quote him, because I yeah. I don't spend a lot of time. To be clear, I don't super know either. But <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I encounter Isaiah stuff mostly in the context of that quote that we read on the High Holidays and that you see fairly regularly in social justice spaces about like, is this the kind of fast I desire? One where you just, (laughs) like, stop eating for a day and nothing else changes? No, you gotta cast off the chains of the imprisoned and feed the hungry all year long and, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Isaiah is a very justice-oriented person, but, like, also through the frame of idolatry, which is part of what he's doing here, which is cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So we can start right here with this thing about the people I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Cool. What? No, just, yeah, let's start in the middle of a sentence, apparently. Uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. Why? Why do you think they do that? So I didn't look much into the grammar. Mm Mm-hmm. My guess would be that these are separate sentences and that it's not actually starting in the middle. But if it is, oh God, um, I guess that's the most important part of the preceding line. Because the preceding line, to be clear, Yeshiahu 4320 is, The wild beasts shall honor me, jackals and ostriches, for I provide water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. And then it starts the Haftarah, the people I form for myself that they might declare my praise. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that is, of those two lines, the most important bit 
for understanding the thesis here that you have not worshipped me and are weary of me. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. I think this question of, like, is it a new sentence or is it not is a little bit of a debatable one. Mm-hmm. And it kind of depends how you translate it. Because the JPS translation definitely puts them together like it's one sentence. And you can see how they do it. Mm-hmm. But... I pulled up another translation, another of the, like, books on my shelves, and this is an older translation. And they render here line 21 as, This people have I formed for myself. They shall shew forth my praise. (laughs) Right? And so it's, like, also trying to make a compromise and turn this basically into two sentences. And it's just kind of how you decide you want to punctuate this and what makes most sense to you. Because the original text isn't punctuated. Right. The Hebrew is Amtsu yatserti li tehilati yes peru, I guess. Does that look like it could just start the people that I form myself? That it could just be a standalone thing? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that it's odd is there's nothing here that's like obviously a connector verb, right? You have the word made and you have these things that they're translating as declare my praise anyway it seems like our conclusion is that basically it can stand alone yeah i mean i think also that isaiah is poetry and poetry is not expected Mm. to always be the same grammatically as prose and that's true in hebrew as well so ancient hebrew poetry like this doesn't work by rhymes like English so much. There's more things happening in terms of parallel structure and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But there is still, it might be a little bit less straightforward than prose. Okay. Anyway, but I was curious if you had thoughts about the meaning of this, of like, I've made people so that they can praise me. Oh, good point. So the vibes that I'm getting are like, hold on. Saper. Saper? Oh. That word means a lot of things. Sure does. (laughs) And what does tehila mean? Uh, So I think it's often translated as like glory or praise or shining, stuff like that. Okay. Oh, another thing here is that yetzerte looks like So there's a sense in which it can be forming, fashioning, framing, but there's also like Oh, to bind in a narrow place. Never mind. I was going to go with like the people that I bound to me so that they might declare my praise. But I don't think that's the meaning of to bind that is being used here. (laughs) Mm, One could lean into the shining part. Certainly the like slightly more literal part Mm -hmm. and read it not as like. Declare my praise and read it instead as like. Reckon me shiny. (laughs) glitterify reckon me shiny i love our translation abilities we make good decisions absolutely so yeah i don't love this concept of making people just so that they can glitterify you okay that's just so self-involved if you form a people To any end, it would be to be the shininess that we reckon, Mm. right? Like, you create humans so that they can interact with each other instead of there being just void and vault. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't like the theological implications here. Well, it reminds me a little bit. Okay. Because, to be clear, it's not like I formed 
people so that people will do this. This has a definite added to it. Like, I formed mm-hmm. this people that they might, this particular group. Um, so rather than just, um. Right. And there is a concept that people have bandied about that's like, we don't worship for God's sake. We don't have ritual because God needs those rituals. God doesn't need that, but we do. <laughs> that I put together this community. I gave you these ritual pieces that you, you know, would use them, mm-hmm. and then you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey. Especially because it's not paired with anger about doing things. Like, there is this, you have not brought me your sheep and not given me sacrifices, and instead you've just, like, handed over sins or whatever. <laughs> then there's this thing about, it is I who, for my own sake, wipe your transgression away and remember your sin no more. You and I were talking off air at one point about the responsibilities of parents to children, right? Okay. And what it means to be a good parent. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about how, like, giving your children tools to navigate the world, structures that they can build onto, Mm -hmm. is a good and useful thing for a parent to do. Scaffolding is very important. Scaffolding is super important. And so the idea here that's like, I gave you rituals and I gave you things to do and you didn't do them and I didn't press you about it and I said it's okay but didn't make you do anything. Like, I wonder Mm. if one could read this as an admission that God didn't do the right thing, Hmm. you know? Like you had the resources but not the scaffolding? Yeah, Mm. like, I knew what you could have done, but then when you didn't do it, there's this thing of, like, I didn't push you on it, I didn't lay out expectations, and I'm, like, coming back to you now to say that was incorrect, we gotta reestablish something else that works better, because then the next bit is, like, help me remember, let's join an argument, tell me your version, you know, like, uh, we gotta put all of those pieces together. Mm -hmm. This version of reality where, like, your struggling isn't working. Yeah. And so we got to start over and hash things out, have more of a dialectic than a monolectic. Like maybe, right? Because then the end of 43 is like... What does it mean to you that Hashem profaned the holy princes? Ooh, a good question. I wasn't sure. So I was looking at it and there is some debate in the commentary about who those people are. Mm -hmm. And there's even some that doesn't translate this as the holy princes, but instead like the holy sanctuaries. Interesting. Or like the people of the holy sanctuaries. So like the priests. So I'm not, I'm still puzzling over what to make of holy princes. Okay. And if you have thoughts about it, I would welcome hearing them. Yeah, I was thinking that this kind of frames the abandonment of Yaakov to prescription and Yisrael to mockery Mm. as like, hey, I made your leaders kind of stupid, but that's just so we can like start over from scratch. Mm. Does that make sense? How well, What does that reading give us? It gives us that just because the monarchy has splintered and done horrific things to each other doesn't mean there can't still be a people who are chosen to do better. Mm-hmm. It's the holy princes who are profaned. It's the fancy gathering places that are turned from altars to Hashem to altars to the Balim. Mm. 
So there's still an opportunity. It's just not in the places that have traditionally been the places of power. Right. It's thirsty soil and dry ground. Mm, That's lovely. Oh, thank you. I tried. (laughs) So, okay. So the thirsty soil and dry ground comes in the beginning of 44. Mm -hmm. And it comes in the context of saying, don't worry. And it's talking about the people who will continue to be. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, I wonder if there's some significance to like, they're very ordinary things, right? Like sprout like grass. Mm -hmm. Like it's not here being like, they will be fancy, you know? It's Mm -hmm. just like, they will be. (laughs) And what do you make of the line after that? One shall say, I am the Lord's, another shall use the name of Yaakov. One of the things I like about this is those are Mm -hmm. all supposed to be be ways of indicating basically the same thing, but they don't have to say it the same way. Yeah, I love that. That's so diasporic. It's like, all these people are Jews, they do not do it all the same way. It's like a very two Jews, three opinions type of deal. (laughs) Except in this case, I think it's three Jews and four opinions? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Also, speaking of the tattoo thing, Mm -hmm. this person is, like, writing on their arm (laughs) Uh something that says they belong to God, like, with the full tetragrammaton on there. Also, they adopt the name of wrestler with God. So, simultaneously, this idea of being owned and wrestling. (laughs) Yeah, and the two names that are explicit. Okay, we have I am the Lord's, Yaakov, of the Lord, and Yisrael. And the two things here that are more classically names Mm -hmm. are Yaakov and Yisrael. And those are names of the same person at different parts in his life. And it Mm -hmm. feels like there's some significance there. Not only is one of those names not more right or more true than another, it feels like a you could shift over the course of a lifetime. Your Judaism might look different over the course of a lifetime. Both of those are equally valid expressions of Judaism. Hmm, that's fun. You're not getting like less Jewish or more Jewish <laughs> or whatever. You're getting differently Jewish. Yeah, both of them are signs of flourishing, of a flourishing Jewish community that grows up like grass. And then we reiterate the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, which is fun. So they're basically saying, la ilaha illallah. I think so. (laughs) There is no God but God. Yes. Um, Yeah, and then there's more like reassurances thrown in here. And a pivot to anti-idolatry rhetoric. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, how do you feel about the anti-idolatry stuff here? (laughs) So, I think it's interesting that we set up this scenario of a person who is self-sufficient enough that he has some extra to worship a god. Mm. And it's interesting that you would go through this whole social story when that's basically the point of temple worship is you have some extra, bring it to God. Mm -hmm. Like they go into a lot of detail here to basically say what has been said everywhere else about, hey, what are these carvings going to do for you? They're not the real God. Mm -hmm. It just seems to be saying a lot that doesn't work with the thesis that it ends up on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about this whole story about a man who 
burns things in the fire and stuff. Yeah, a little bit. I'm thinking about the word here that's translated as craftsman. Okay. Give me a line number. 11. Uh, 4411. Mm, there we go. Kharashim. And that root, Chet is an interesting one. It does mean like a craftsperson, somebody who makes things with their hands. Mm-hmm. It's also related to somebody who destroys things. It's also related to somebody who- An earthen vessel? Makes magic or is a magician. It's also, yeah, related to a vessel, like something you can make with your hands. There's so much going on here. And it's also related to, like, plotting and also being silent and being deaf. <laughs> it's very much focused around people who make things and make a lot of different kinds of things and make things that somewhat can't fully be understood by others due to specialized knowledge and skills mm. and maybe mystical knowledge and skills and who do not share that knowledge by virtue of some kind of silence. Like there's a lot that feels implied in the choice of this word, which they did not have to use. Like there are other words that mean <laughs> person who makes things. That don't mean 10 different things. <laughs> right. So it is an interesting choice. And it is it is fascinating to me as a person who makes things and who thinks of part of my project of making things as very connected to my Judaism, mm -hmm. to think about it as like, Judaism thinks that those things are magical, literally mm -hmm. magical, sometimes scarily magical. <laughs> who knows what you could make with your hands? You're making things that didn't exist before and wouldn't exist without you. Right. And there's power in that. And there's a certain amount of people are nervous about that power. And also people don't want you to mistake the power of the things you can do with your own hands for different kinds of power, I guess, mm -hmm. which is provocative for me, right? Like, is this an attempt to limit power to, you know, established norms? Like, no, only the priests get power, not other people who can make stuff with their hands. Or is this, why would you think that you can make something all on your own, separate from everybody else? <laughs> yeah. And that would be fine. And there would be no repercussions to it. You know, the way the tech industry just makes things and doesn't think about whether they should make them. What if we had a rideshare that stops in predetermined locations and carries multiple people? You mean the bus system that we've been defunding the entire time? Right. No, it's different than the bus system. How is it different than the bus system? Well, we can discriminate in who we pick up. <laughs> Thanks, tech. Right. Or like more broadly, like we're developing AI and what is that AI going to be used for? Mm-hmm. You know? And that's a really good insight is that this social story here is about single people working alone rather than a community working together. But also there's this thing over here that's like, who would fashion a god or cast a statue that can do no good? It's like a thing about, are you doing good with the things you're building? Mm -hmm. And they're like, as the things themselves can neither look nor think. I think about that in terms of when people make algorithms and then like hmm. the algorithms are made by humans so that they have human biases and then they discriminate based on race. And it's like, well, it's just the fault of the algorithm. And it's like, well, the algorithm doesn't think. You know, like humans mm -hmm. think humans have made it this way to be racist, you know? Uh-huh. Or like, 
wow, don't insult this character. And it's like, no, it's not that we're insulting this character. It's that this character participates in racist tropes because the writers wrote it that way. Right. (laughs) Or the thing about how you have a straight person who writes a bi character in a way that's like, they have only written one bi character and they do these specific kinds of nasty representations of what bi people are supposed to be, Mm -hmm. you know? And then somebody else is like, well, but some bi people can do that. And it's like, yes, of course. I would not be mad at a real live actual person (laughs) for doing that. However, this is not a real live actual person. This is a character who somebody purposefully designed to be that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's something to be said here when it says its adherents will be shamed. They're crafters. They're human, right? A certain amount of maybe you shouldn't play God with your creations. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder about that going into it. I also, there's a new Instagram account that I found and followed the other day mm-hmm. that I really like that's called Woolen Honey. It's woolen.honey. Oh, woolen, like honey, which is like unto wool. Yes. And it's all like knitted things with commentary about how it connects to the weekly Parsha. Oh, Baruch Hashem. I really like it. It's so very much my deal. <laughs> This is great. Yeah. Oh, and then they separate the stories by Bereshit and Shemod. And ah, this is a great account. Yeah, it's great. Go follow them if you have an Instagram. And the person behind it is, I think, writing an article Mm -hmm. about the connection with Torah and yarn crafting and stuff like that, which seems really cool. They said they would email me some questions and I could be part of it because I am a person who is passionate about both yarn crafts and Torah and their intersection. Mm. But I do like this thing of like, crafters are human, you know? (laughs) There's like a lot of honoring in the details here of this is specialized work, specialized labor and beautiful. Someone gets a particular wood and chooses which one and the rains make them grow and the earth cultivates them. And then a person takes some to be warm with and also takes some to make bread, but then also makes a god and worships some of it. And it's trying to say like, there's such beauty in the natural world and such beauty in taking what you need to live and thrive and using specialized skills that you have. And it's like, okay, and then you took all of that and made it into something negative, you know? (laughs) This is what you made with all that? Right. I don't know. So it feels to me like there's a way to think of it as honoring the process of crafting, but also being like, but people who craft are human and have choices about what they're devoting their time and energy to. Mm-hmm. And also that it's kind of an abdication, right? <laughs> like, there's this thing that's like, the person did all of these efforts and made all of these things and whatever, and then says, he bows down to it, worships it, he prays to it and cries, save me for you are my God. They have no wit or judgment. Their eyes are besmeared and they see not their minds and they cannot think. And it's almost sort of, no, no, look at all of the things you, the actual person, did do and can do. Why would you then turn to something else that can't do anywhere near what you can do? <laughs> Why would you worship that? Thanks. Does that wrap up the Haftarah? I think basically, unless there's anything else you want to add. I have no further farm wisdoms. <laughs> 
So that brings us to the best farm of all, Rating God's Writing, in which we plow the reading and uh, lay seeds with our scale so that they may flourish and be harvested by each other with a rating. (laughs) Wow, that used most of my creative juices for the day. Jazz, do you have a scale? What would you make out of the raw ingredients of this Haftarah? Okay. I would make commitments to other people. Mm. Because just living in the moment by yourself isn't, uh, isn't God-honoring. Like, the way that you create stuff, the way that you do things for others, that you have an interesting life, that's in community with other people. Mm. That is what I am forming from the material of this Haftarah, is commitments to people. Jazz, if you made an art project <laughs> that represents this Haftarah. I know I'm kind of stepping on the same territory as you. Hey, um, if you made an art project that represents this Haftarah, how many people would you, like, onboard to help you with it? And why is it not an idol? Mm, Okay, (laughs) this is maybe not a fair answer. I don't care. I'm going with it anyway. Mm -hmm. Which is, I am currently involved in making a creative project about this Haftarah, and I stand by it. (gasps) That's so meta. I have involved... A number of different people in its creation. To make an episode of this podcast requires me, you. Oftentimes Ezra. Oftentimes Ezra. To do our audio. Someone to transcribe, which is often but not always Shachar. If Shachar is not up to it, it involves another person in addition to Shachar. It also requires the people who maintain our hosting services Mm. and our website and the website of Patreon. And our patrons who keep our show funded and more sustainable for us to make. And it requires that I have the flexibility to do this, which means it also requires the people at my job and the families of the students I teach who make it possible for that job to continue to exist. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the answer to your question is an awful lot of people are required to make a project. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't have a number for you. It's a lot, though. That's great. Also, that's a wonderful segue into the fun and flirty interjection I have for after you credit me. Oh, my God. Okay. On that note, uh, (laughs) let's wrap up for the week, shall we? That's a great note to wrap up on. Wow. Thanks for listening to Kosher Queers. If you like what you've heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash kosherqueers, which will give you bonus content and help us keep making this for you. Also, if you can't commit to ongoing support but would still like to contribute, you can give to our Ko-fi, which is at ko-fi.com slash kosherqueers. Find out more information about our podcast, including bios for our team and links to our social media at kosherqueers.gay. Also, please spread the word about kosherqueers. Our artwork is by the talented Lior Gross. Our music is courtesy of the fabulous band Brivola, whose work you can find on Bandcamp. Go buy their album. They're great. Our sound production this week is done by my lovely co-host, Lulav Arno. Oh, listeners, if you should be in doubt about editing the podcast, indeed, we created it from a tweet, then from Discord DMs, then from audio freeware, and then from an online audio host that we may share it with you. Aww.
Jazz Twersky and Ruben Shachar Rose make sure that every episode is fully transcribed. And big thanks to Jazz for doing the episode notes every week, because that's where you'll find the surah that I absolutely butchered for my fun and flirty interjection there. You can find a link to the transcripts in those aforementioned episode descriptions at kosherqueers.gay, where you can also see if Jazz and Shachar roped in additional help for the episode. I'm Jazz Tursky, and you can find me at WordNerdKnitter on Twitter. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Lenape people. I'm Lula Varno, and you can find me at SpaceTruck6 on Twitter, or yell at me at PalmLiker. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Wapekute Dakota. Have, Have a, a lovely, lovely queer, queer Jewish day. day. This week's gender is up to three free toppings. This week's pronouns are yum and yums.